This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. We also have the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny, and a special guest, Rachel Zeithamel, who is director of education for Toledo Symphony. Uh, we have a full house this morning, and we have some fun stuff to talk about. Actually, a lot of things to talk about, which all come under the umbrella of the North Star Festival. Before we talk about some of the performances that are going on with the North Star Festival, why don't we talk about what the North Star Festival is? Felicia, you want to tell us about that? Yes. Um, so a little-known fact about Toledo, Ohio, is that it's a part of um, – this expansive network called the Underground Railroad, which is um, this network of safe havens for slaves Mm. to get from stop to stop safely and to get to the north to freedom. So in this North Star Festival, we... um, put together these programs that include, you know, some events that are ticketed and others that are uh, more community outreach oriented to celebrate our part in history and um, celebrate the musical contributions of black Americans from 1850s through the 1960s. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the definition of the festival. And I'm sure um, Merwin, Zach and Rachel can touch upon um, how yeah. it came about programmatically. So when we were putting this together, we were um, we reached out to our friends at the Lathrop House to really understand the significance and the symbolism of having this underground railroad stop in our area. Hmm. And that led us very quickly to the Toledo-Lucas County Public Library, who has been a, a wonderful partner from a literary perspective and a, a historical perspective as well. And when we started looking at our programs... Some were already in place, some had yet to be put together, but we realized that we had an arc starting with Negro spirituals in the 1850s all the way through to uh, an opera that the Toledo Opera is presenting, uh, I Dream, Mm -hmm. which celebrates the last uh, 36 hours of Martin Luther King's life. So you have this arc of spiritual to R&B, and then along the way you have stops in chamber music and in jazz and you can start to really see the the contribution start to create a timeline. Yeah. Now, some of the stuff has already happened. I know some of the concerts. We have a chamber concert coming up. But, Rachel, you want to tell us about some of the, the early stuff in the festival? And it involves some student performances, right? Oh, yeah. We're trying to do something that will appeal to every different age. Um, so as part of our Young People's Concert, which is geared towards homeschools and um, parochial private schools in the area, we had an the concert was titled Lift Every Voice, Musical and Historical Legacy of the Underground Railroad. And what I really appreciated about that was um, just the chance to work with a lot of different schools. Um, When we first met with Lathrop and Merwin and I met with our friend Sally over there over a year and a half ago, and we were talking about doing this. And we're like, I remember saying and saying to my friend Sally, like, what gives me the right, a white girl from Nebraska, to think that I can educate kids about this, like, crazy social subject? And um, and so that's what we kind of have kept coming back to. We've relied on a lot of community partners to educate us. And 
part of that is then we get to educate others. So we try to include a lot of information for teachers and our teacher guide for the um, Lift Every Voice. And that was that was really fun, really rewarding. A couple of the other events we've had, Zach mentioned our partnership with the library. We did a preschool story time, which again was geared towards preschoolers and the Toledo Symphony um, String Quartet played and accompanied a couple different books. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have also had... Um, we had the Toledo Symphony Youth Quartet go out and do an instrument petting zoo geared towards more elementary and junior high schoolers. Yeah. What was the reaction of the younger kids? Let's start with the preschoolers. And how did they take this kind of a, a presentation? Um, I think so. The preschoolers in particular, I don't think they understood the seriousness of the matter, but they mm-hmm. appreciated the the musicians, of course, the live music, but also the way that the story time worked was they were talking about um, following, one of the t- books was following my father's song. And it was how you communicate. In this case, it was whales, but how the whales communicated with each other and you could always follow your father's song to know yeah. where to go. And so she kind of tied that in to um, the, when the slaves did escape and um, the, the music. So they didn't grasp the seriousness of the nature Mm -hmm. they just thought they were hearing some good stories listening to some good music so it was a really good experience um merwin might be able to add a little bit more since he was there providing some of the music (laughs) but it's laying the groundwork right i mean for for these kids to to carry that with them into the future absolutely i think one of the things that's readily apparent the more you kind of dig into the legacy of Negro spirituals is just how prevalent they are in in our society now. How so many of the melodies, so many of the um, so many of the words have kind of permeated our consciousness. So even if the specific context behind utilizing a particular spiritual like Swing Low Sweet Chariot or, you know, every time I feel the spirit or going home doesn't necessarily, you know, sink through mm-hmm. at that moment. It is kind of building that foundation of, you know, the type of melodies that really are part of our culture and part of what what kids growing up will be able to kind of bring into some of the more advanced concerts that we're going to be doing in the future. Yeah. So. Well, it's nice to see those songs, you know, brought into uh, the the environment at a young age for children. Because when you think about it, like children's nursery rhymes or kids' songs, things like that, they often have like this dark undercurrent to them. You know, <laughs> well, that's like, not creepy. <laughs> like, like I, well, you know, it, it, "Ring Around the Rosie" exactly, is, yeah. is about the plague and and people oh God, dying and <laughs> burning the bodies with ashes and things right. like that. So, you know, and think about children's tales. They're often about scaring, laying the groundwork for scaring that child into submission, you know, like the Grimm's fairy tales. And <clears throat> if you don't behave, you'll get, you know. I need those books. Eaten by a, <laughs> I, I a feel like I need them right now. For yourself or for your daughter? Uh, yes. <laughs> These well, little cautionary tales. They are, but but I think what you what, what we're all realizing is that they become part of the lexicon uh, from our harmonic perspective or our melodic understanding 
Um, I'm thinking about you know, going home is is something that appears in Dvorak, and it it was performed at <laughs> Kennedy's funeral, um, and it has started to lose maybe its its original context, but it's taken on a lot of other ones, and 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 that's what music does really well. But one of the more rewarding things about working with the library is finding all these great ways to communicate with young children about the Underground Railroad and about slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, Rachel found this wonderful book called Unspoken, uh, which was um, shown at the Young People's Concert, and then great music was played along to it. So it kind of created this sort of yeah. visual musical ballet in your mind of uh, how music and art can go together. Well, and of course, symphony is addressing these social issues through music and through collaboration with other community partners. But I, I think that as a whole, as a society, we, we can't um, limit ourselves dependent upon our own background. You talk about being the white girl from Nebraska and being, you know, feeling a little weird about having to come out and, and trying to uh, educate people about the sins of slavery and what happened in this country. But if we allow ourselves to, you know, close off, then we don't move forward. I think that it's something that needs to be addressed on all fronts. Exactly. And um, I mentioned that white girl from Nebraska comment on presentation a couple weeks ago. And I got a phone call from a lady who's like, I really appreciate that. Because aren't we all just white girls from Nebraska? <laughs> and I was like, okay. But I, I get her point. Like, that's... That's the person that needs to be figuring out this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to think about that for a while. <laughs> the white like, girl am I a white girl? I think you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to go back to your point a little bit about, you know, kind of what gives an organization the right to speak and and the right to educate. And I think it's really important that when when any organization enters into this, that they see this as part of a conversation. Mm -hmm. We're not just here to educate. We're not here to speak. We're here to listen and we're here to learn. And I I actually think the most important part of the North Star Festival, and maybe this is a bit Toledo Symphony-centric, is the learning that we're going to get as an organization. We're going to, I think it's important for us to learn how to speak about social issues and how to learn about social issues. And I think no. that maybe it's not so much, uh, you know, it, uh, we're, we're what gives us the right to speak as we want to be part of a conversation. And I think that we've reached out to a lot of organizations and other organizations have been just wonderful in giving us great feedback. Um, not not just the organizations that we mentioned, but also some of our collaborative performing partners, the Clarence Smith Community Chorus and the Voices of Bowling Green State University. Um, these They've just given us so much in terms of how, how we can be better partners mm-hmm. um, in in our larger society as a whole, but specifically reaching out to the African-American community. So really, really l- great learning experiences for us. Who first came up with the idea? Who who first started talking about it? And how did it develop? Do you remember at this point? <laughs> I think it started as a Toledo Symphony venture when we started to realize that we were going to we were going to celebrate um, jazz through classical music and spirituals and classical music. And that that arc made us think about it. And then our friends from the opera asked us to consider adding an extra performance since we play in the opera's pit of Mm -hmm. I Dream. So then we we suddenly transferred across that 110 years that I referred to earlier. And 
the idea of doing a, a festival started to be born. And I think it was Merwin who came up with the name of it, which I really love. Uh, the concept of the North Star, which was the, the guiding light for those on the Underground Railroad. Um, the, the, the logo that, that our, our marketing team created has mm-hmm. the, the Big Dipper um, incorporated into it, which includes the, the, the North Star. We, we have to be careful because in a, in a radio format like this, it's really easy to sound like we're congratulating ourselves for having a good idea. Right. It, from my perspective, this is an idea that we should have had a long time ago. It's overdue, mm-hmm. and it's something that for our community, um, it's a celebration that we should share. And, you know, so it doesn't end up being, was it a Toledo Symphony idea? Was it an opera idea? Was it a a Toledo Lucas County Public Library idea? It was something we built and something we're really proud of. And it's something that I I think the the community deserves. And, and and that's what I think we should really be patting ourselves on the back for. Yeah. It's rare that you have this many different community organizations coming together under one big event. Right? Well, it's true. And, and you know, it, one thing I am really proud about is that we received an NEA grant to support this festival. And, and one of the things that I think uh, put us over the edge on that is the sense of collaboration. This is the first NEA funding the symphony has received in years. Mm. And when you put all of these organizations together as as co presenters, uh, you start to realize that that's really what starts to raise eyebrows, not only in this this uh, area, but but nationally uh, for somebody as, as lauded and, 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 um, and selective as the NEA. Well, coming up this weekend is that uh, program Romance and Spirituals. And I know, uh, Merwin, by the time that this airs, you've already given your, your little uh, talk about uh, Romance and Spirituals and the idea behind it. I wonder if you can give us sort of a little Uh, kind of a capsule version of that. Absolutely. I think one of the wonderful um, conundrums that I approached programming this concert with was the fact that the words in spirituals are so incredibly important. Uh, They convey such meaning. They often have meaning behind the literal meaning. And yet there have been so many presentations of spirituals in chamber music that take the words away. And what what is particularly unique about a spiritual setting without the words? And I think with romance and spirituals, we're exploring kind of what's in, what's incredibly poignant about this music, even when you take away the message, even when you take away how much of that message is just in the melodies and the harmonies itself. And I think that's what we're trying to explore in this program. We're, and we're taking that both in very literal presentations of the spiritual where basically you're just taking a a vocal melody and putting it with an instrument and it's roughly almost a direct transcription we're seeing what happens to the music when you take the spiritual melody and kind of treat it as a raw material for a more abstract compositional process and then we're seeing how the spirituals inspire um, folk songs pop songs um, and all of these different presentations that extend you know into the 20th and 21st centuries mm-hmm. and I think like how how do spiritual inspired melodies serve as historical markers how do they serve as inspirational anthems I think all of these things were really really interesting for us to see how many composers 
were inspired not just by the words and the messages of the spirituals, but just by the sheer beauty and poignancy of the mel- the melodies themselves. Yeah. So is the program then featuring uh, all music of, of uh, African composers or African-descended composers? Or do you have other arrangements of that? I mean, you mentioned Dvorak, for instance. There are plenty of, you know, dead white male Europeans who, who arranged and used spirituals in their work. Are you touching on any of that? Actually, no. In this case, we are focusing... There is a composer of African-British descent, so it is not entirely African-American composers. But uh, if I recall correctly, and I'm desperately running through the program in my head, (laughs) hoping that I did not make a mistake. Yes, there are, I think it is all composers of African descent, Mm -hmm. and there are several composers um, who are currently still living. We we are really... um, grateful to have found some wonderful compositions by female African-American composers. Yeah. Um, and I think this is something that, you know, certainly woefully underrepresented. And I Absolutely. Think, and, and some really great pieces here. So we're really excited to present these. And, and these are all, it should be said, you know, in the, in the classical style, because I mean, in the, in the classical uh, world of music, right? Because it's not hard to find living mm-hmm. female African-American composers of of other types of music. We did want to find um, pieces that at least that did have one foot in a classical um, style, but also one foot that maybe kind of extended outside of that. So we have um, pieces that are in a folk tradition, um, a wonderful piece by Rhiannon Giddens, who's uh, recently received a MacArthur Award, and she's the lead singer of the Carolina Chocolate Drops, and she has this wonderful arrangement of her song at the purchaser's option. Um, She collaborated with Jacob Garchik and uh, the Kronos Quartet to create this arrangement. Right. And so... And then there's a piece by Daniel Bernard Romain, um, mm-hmm. who's using very specifically hip hop techniques in in his um, tribute to Rosa Parks. Yeah. Um, so uh, that bridges gaps from um, really kind of, I would say, academically treated anthems. There's an isorhythmic um, movement that he's using that's very, very specifically related to that classical tradition. And then he's using a very strong hip-hop influence in his in the uh, movement Clap Your Hands. Yeah. Is there an audience participation component? There can be. Oh, okay. um, it, is a, it is an optional uh, audience participation component. We will we, we are going to explore that. We'll see how it oh, works. Really? Oh, really? I'm interested. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to kind of see how that works. It is a very... It's a it's a pretty um, intricate uh, clapping part, so we'll oh, we'll really? see how. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it was a little harder than we expected. We <laughs> so it's not like clapping not the beat. Hi- it's hard, it starts hard to, that way. Oh, really? It does start that way. Hard to clap your hands and, and play the violin at the same Maybe time. Like a full on right. body percussion or something. Yeah, there you go. Well, you mentioned that Rhiannon Giddens Kronos Quartet thing, and now didn't the Toledo Symphony Youth Quartet play that or play a, an yes. excerpt from that? Yeah, mm-hmm. here in the studio, but they're not playing on the concert, though, right? Or are they? They're not playing on the March 11th concert. Okay. Um, they've done some other outreach concerts for yeah. us with that piece. Yeah, wonderful players. Um, now you're doing something interesting that I don't know that I've seen this uh, done before. I mean, it usually 
symphonies will do this sort of thing for donors or for people who have some kind of relationship with the symphony where you open up a rehearsal and people mm-hmm. can come in mm-hmm. and watch and, and see what goes on behind the scenes. But you're doing that for the um, chamber concerts, Romance and Spirituals, a rehearsal in the afternoon. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, So the day of the concert, um, we're going to be at the uh, public library downtown and open rehearsal. It's going to be interesting. It's in a new space for the musicians Mm -hmm. and there will be people walking around. We've invited, it's open to the public. Um, It's in the middle of the library. So anybody and everybody will hear what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And the musicians are on board, kind of sneak peek behind the looks, see what's going on. Um, so are, are you going to let the members of the public like say, well, you should do a little faster, maybe do a little slower? They can <laughs> say that, whether or not the musicians listen. Uh. <laughs> one of the things I love about this is, and I remember in our, one of our first meetings with the library, uh, was the idea of making noise at a library. You know, back mm-hmm. when I was growing oh, up, we yeah. were still being shushed at the libraries. Uh, but I had a great conversation with Rhonda Sewell about this, which is that um, libraries have traditionally been safe places. They've been community centers and places where people come and go through the community to learn about something. And all the more reason to make that uh, a forum for music mm-hmm. and this music. Uh, so this is, I think, the first time that uh, chamber music will be played by the Toledo Symphony at the Winter Garden at the main library. And I'm very excited at this idea of, you know, passers-by on a random afternoon getting to see and hear this music in a space that otherwise was a a shush. Yeah, I love that idea. Let's make noise at the library. (laughs) I'm sure you can find lots of other. You can do an entire, you know, make noise at the library festival. Next year. <laughs> Sponsored by WGTE. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we have done a remote broadcast from down there. We're actually right. we're going to do another one um, with the I Dream Project. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about Kathleen Battle coming in uh, next week, I believe. And the week mm-hmm. after that, we'll talk about I Dream. So this North Star Festival conversation is going to be going on for uh, some time now. Um, can you tell me, where where do you go from here after you've brought together all of these organizations, you've scheduled all these wonderful concerts, you're raising awareness with the public, you're engaging with the public. I mean, I'm I'm willing to guess that there are a lot of people who are not even aware of the underground railroad connection in Toledo. What's the future hold, do you think? Well, I think it's really important for us to be able to come back together as an organization and ask ourselves internally, what have we learned? And I think it's maybe it's a little bit early for us to kind of leap ahead with grandiose projections of future programming without being able to <laughs> kind of look back and say, oh, yeah. yeah, this really worked, this didn't work. And I think, and I think so maybe there will be a period of reflection where we kind of see where, you know, what's, yeah. what's working for us. I do think that we have already, as an organization, been more cognizant of what the diversity of our programming can be, and not just programming, but the people who are on stage, mm-hmm. um, um, conductors, soloists. And I think um, I think the ultimate conversation, the one that's 
probably the most difficult to have is, you know, the members of the orchestra. How does that reflect? How does that reflect in terms of providing positive role models for um, children of all colors? And I think that's a very, very difficult conversation. It's a conversation that, you know, you know, some orchestras have already started to have, and we haven't really. Um, But I think it's, it is a something that we will be be looking at. And I think it is, it's learning that we're that is timely. It's mm-hmm. it's beyond timely. We should. No. I mean, so I think that maybe I we're certainly um, very excited about um, doing other programming and possibly festival programming. Not necessarily sure this is going to be a you know that North Star Festival Part Three, the return right. or something. You know, <laughs> will will necessarily be how we go about it. I look at the uh, the overall arc. I mean, one of the first concerts after I came to the symphony that we did was a, a collaboration with the National Arab Orchestra. And that was a party that went way into the wee hours of the morning where um, I, I think the Toledo Symphony was seen in a different different path than they'd been seen before. And it was a different light that had been shining on the repertoire. Mm. And that starts a mm-hmm. kind of a dialogue. What can we do with music? We don't have to just be... Uh, you know, music of a bunch of European dead white males. Mm-hmm. And we can start to use music to inspire discussion. It doesn't mean that we take uh, a position, but we inspire dialogue. Yeah. And I think we'll do that with this <clears throat> festival. We already have some things planned for next year, which we haven't announced, uh, that will be provocative. Um, but, you know, it, as we go into our 75th anniversary, one of my favorite concepts is this idea that we aren't just waving a, a flag and saying that we're 75 years old, but we can really say that for 75 years we've been part of this community. We've been Toledo's symphony for 75 years. Mm-hmm. In order to do that really credibly is to look at all of the parts of the community that we can we can inspire, and we can do that through music. Yeah, I like well, his answer. You said his answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, diversity is always uh, a, a hot-button topic, especially for arts organizations mm-hmm. that tend to be much more mired in the traditional European, you know, um, history. And that's the kind of music that you have to play. Your audience expects it also. But I think that it, it's it's great that there's at least an awareness and an attempt to extend the conversation, right, right. to to include uh, people of all different races and all different colors because they, they have something to offer that speaks to your audience, even to your core audience mm-hmm. as well. I think one of the things that we've really discovered in putting together this festival is we've really been just stunned by the depth of the local history that ties it to the Underground Railroad and to in like I think there's while there are you know people are aware or many people are aware of the Underground Railroad stops not just in Sylvania but even for just a little bit further south of Toledo um I do think that um, it's not really part of Toledo's maybe self-consciousness that James Ashley, who was a former congressperson from Toledo, was the person who authored the 13th Amendment that, event, you know, that eventually um, was the amendment that ab- abolished slavery. And I think that's, that's an incredible history. And we're discovering more and more of this history that we just have not come to, that we haven't been able to, you know, pay tribute to in this first iteration of the festival. And I think 
part of being Toledo's symphony is being able to highlight this incredibly rich history that's part of the city. Well, that's just about uh, all the time we have. But uh, I do know, uh, Rachel, you want to touch on one more thing for us. And then there's also uh, some information about the website where people can go to. So uh, what else do you want to say? Exactly. Well, Zach touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, we really do want to be Toledo Symphony. And if we're going to be Toledo Symphony, we need our doors to be open to everyone, everyone in the community. And we invite everybody to come in check us out, see what we're doing, join us on this journey as we explore great music. Felicia, where can we find more information oh. about all of this? <laughs> ToledoSymphony.com slash North Star Festival. So that's like a, all the events are there. Yes, all right? of the events are listed in one location. Including the Chamber stuff. Website. Yes. The Chamber mm-hmm. stuff is coming up this weekend, yes. Romance and Spirituals. That uh, open rehearsal is happening in the afternoon between like 1 and 4 o'clock around mm-hmm. there. And then the concert is 7 o'clock p.m. There's also Kathleen Battle, an amazing concert that's uh, coming up uh, in a a few weeks that we're going to be talking about next week. And also I Dream, the opera by Douglas Tappan over at Toledo Opera. So many more things to talk about as we continue the conversation over the next couple of weeks. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab or by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts. My thanks to Zach Vasser, Merwin Sue, Felicia Canny, and Rachel Zeithamel. I'm Brad Cresswell, and you've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.